Good evening. As Eric said, go ahead and please turn to chapter 6, and as you're doing that, I'm going to pray for us. Father, to speak to us tonight, um, what an important passage for us to go through. Um, it's a tough passage, maybe even tough to understand for some, so help me to explain it in such a way it's um, easily digestible, Father, for the Spirit. We walk out experiencing the hope and the glory of Jesus and his resurrection, understand the power and the magnitude of baptism in Christ and what that means, the implications, and all those things that um, pertain to us and our worship unto the Lord as we are here on this earth, proclaiming his name and glorifying him. And so, Lord, just allow this word to have power tonight, to speak to our hearts, allow the Holy Spirit uh, just to dwell amongst our church and just guide us in truth. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, Eric touched on chapter 5, went through it, and in chapter 6, the very first verse, Paul says to the Roman church and to us, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And so when you, when you get something like that, he's obviously continuing a topic, and he wants to keep on adding upon his point, his emphasis, he's going to eventually drill home what he's trying to prove here, um, that how do we have salvation and who is Christ, and how we can be free of sin and live this life in freedom according to Christ. And last week, um, the message that Pastor Eric was teaching, um, he said back in chapter 5, verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood or Jesus' blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And so Paul was saying to this church that we need, in essence, a spiritual blood transfusion. We have a problem, and it's a sin problem. And the blood of Christ is what justifies us, which means just as we have never sinned in the sight of the Lord, if we have the blood of Jesus on us, it's like we've never sinned before. God sees us as holy and righteous because we have the blood of his Son who's innocent, the spotless lamb on us. Go all the way back into the Old Testament, guys. This was the picture. This was it. Go back to Passover. That's what the whole point of Passover was. If you had faith to put the blood of the innocent lamb on your doorpost that night, God would pass over you. And then you go into all the sacrificial system of the, of the spotless lamb or the bull and all these things, and the blood was to cover the sins. To take it away, it was a symbol, it was something that was to come. That was never the permanent fix, but he was saying that the system of like the lamb, the spotless lamb, or the, the blood of the bull, or whatever it was that he would have to be slain for a sin, well, that was something in place, but something better was to come, and that was Jesus. And Jesus is the spotless lamb. His blood is what justifies us, makes us righteous, and it was by grace that he gave it to us. And then he goes on in that chapter. It's like, okay, the, well, the problem, how it started was is because our very first father, Adam, sinned, willfully disobedient 
to our heavenly Father, and this is the reason why we have our problem today. We inherited a sin from Adam in the garden. But God gave us His Son, His, His Son, Jesus, to cover, to justify us, to cover our sin with His blood. So He was like the second Adam. That's what the argument here is in, from 12, chapter 5, 12 through 21. What he's trying to say is, death entered the world through Adam, but through his son, it took the the sin out of the world. And so in 20, everybody turn to um, to verse 20, chapter 5, verse 20. It says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to enter to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when the law came, Moses went up to the mountain and the law came and he gave us the Ten Commandments. It was like then the flashlight shone on us. It's like, oh, we're definitely guilty. We're definitely sinful. If I were to go before the Lord and he was to judge me based upon the law, the Ten Commandments, I'm, I'm a host. And that's what the design of the law was for. That's what it was for is to illuminate our sin to where we really would appreciate the grace when God gave us his son, we would truly appreciate it. So based upon this information, now what? Paul would say. What shall we say then? Based upon all this information that his son's blood justifies us, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it. And I was thinking about this today and like my relationship with the Lord and the day I got saved and, and you know, and how I kind of just wrestled through all my, my old sins. It was a wrestling. It's like, okay, now it's like light had shone on all my sins. But it was like I didn't necessarily know how to use the power of God, but I knew it was wrong. But before, I could care less if it was wrong. I enjoyed it. It wasn't wrong to me because I was self-seeking, like everybody is who doesn't have Christ. They're self-seeking. I wasn't seeking after God. I was seeking after me and my own pleasures and, and everything else. And just and this, this looking back on it, it's just sometimes it's heartbreaking that I can look back on it and say that I knew at one point I was doing things that were wrong and I was saved, and I knew it. And, the, and I started trying to drill down to the root of that. Why? What is going on here, Kent? Like, why would you ever do that, and why will I do it in the future? Hopefully I'm not. But it's just a struggle that we all wrestle with in this life, right? And, but when I started focusing on the father and the son aspect, and then he was totally innocent. Jesus was totally innocent, and I was totally guilty. And then he gave me his son, the blood of his son covered my sins. What pain that must have caused the father. Then it's just like, okay, I feel like I have the power to stand firm in the path and not fall into any sin or trespass. Do you guys feel that way? Raise your hand if you feel that way sometimes. Like, man, it's like a, it's like a struggle here sometimes, you know. But sometimes I, I just, I guess I lack the empathy of the father and the son relationship. I forget about the pain that it must have caused Jesus and the father. I forget about it. And I just more focused on me. And, and so I was trying to figure out a way. It's like, how, how can I bring it a little bit? 
how can I bring it home to myself and maybe to you? And I was thinking about, well, who do I love the most in this life? And it's my wife. I mean, I absolutely adore my wife. I love her. She's such a gift from the Lord. Everybody who sees, like, if you, if you see us walking, you would say, how did Kent get her? She's gorgeous. She's beautiful. At least I believe so. And she's just a kind-hearted person. She loves ministering to the poor. She has mercy. It's just, I just don't even feel like I deserve her. And, and so be it. We are on our, on our license. I'm going to get to the point here. Stay with me because this is what the whole message is about, right? So on our license, we have a little heart on it. It says that we are organ donors. Maybe some of you have that, Okay. And we have chosen that because if something were to happen to us, say, for instance, if we got into a car accident or something and hit our head really hard and we were out and died, our organs would still be good. And there's people on the list that have, I mean, they, they need a heart transplant or liver transplant, kidney, whatever it is. And so they would be able to take our organs and give them to them so they could survive. And I was thinking, it's like, okay, if something happened to the one I love the most, my wife, and her heart was functioning, or it could function, it could save another person's life, who would I want it to go to? And I started thinking, it's like, there's some people on that list that genetically, the reason why they need a heart is because genetics. It's not their fault. While others of them, it may be their fault, the reason why they're on that list. They had a, a, just a lifestyle of drinking drugs, horrible eating, whatever. And what I would, would I be able to take and say, you can... That person who, who lived that crazy, nasty lifestyle, who needs a heart, would I put my wife's heart in that person? And I started thinking about it. I was like, yes, I would. Everybody deserves a second chance. That's the gospel. I would. I'd have some, good, I'd have some expectations for that person, though. Right? Wouldn't you? And so if I saw that person who received my wife's heart who really didn't deserve to have her heart because of he willfully chose that lifestyle to kill his own heart. And he has my wife's heart it's beating in his chest. That's the only thing of my wife that's living on this planet is her heart and it's keeping that person alive. And if I went to a restaurant and I walked in like two years later and I saw him drinking and smoking and eating horribly and it's acting crazy, I would probably walk up to him and have some choice words. I'd probably come really close to losing my salvation, Right? <laughs> And no, I don't believe you can. But you get the point. It's just, and I would probably say, well, what are you doing? You have a second chance in life. You never deserved my wife's heart to begin with. But by grace, you have it. You have a second chance, second lease on life. I would hope that you would try to do something good with your life and help others. That's what I would expect. But you know what? If I got... If that person came to my house one day, knocked on my door two years later, and says, Kent, I'm the man who received your wife's heart, and I'm so grateful for it. I realize how important it is that I would live a life of good, but I'm having struggles. I'm having a problem here. The same reason why my heart died because of the smoking and the drinking and the drugs, I just cannot knock this habit, and I know it's so important for you that I live this life a good life, I would say, brother, come on in. Thank you for being humble. Thank you for having enough courage to come to me and deal with this. I can deal with that. 
That's our story before the Lord. We received this blood transfusion, if you will, figuratively speaking, and for the rest of our lives, we're stuck in this sinful world. However, spiritually speaking, we're healed. He gave us his son to avoid the day of wrath, as in 5.9 tells us. He loved us enough. He gave us his son for that. So how are we going to live? We don't have to live in that sinful lifestyle anymore because the power of love should be able to free us from whatever those sins are. But God is gracious and merciful, and if we have those issues, we can come to him. That's our message tonight. How do we relate to God when he gave us his most precious thing, his son, and, and in turn, what do we do with it? That's what Paul is going to drill down here in 6, going through here now. So as we start reading, I want you to kind of keep this in mind, the Father's love for the Son and the grace that he gave us and how much mercy he has for us. And I'm going to go back. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it. Why would we want to live in the same sin that killed his son, is what he's saying. Or do you not know that as many of us, as were baptized in Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? And so what you're going to find, if you, if you notice, what you're going to find are a bunch of words in the past tense, like who died in verse 2. And in verse 3, many of us that were baptized. So this is an act that has already played out. In the past, this has already happened. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been baptized into the Lord and Jesus Christ. It's in the past. And so watch all the times that he's looking at past tense words here, like were, was. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of the life. So we're going to talk about baptism. Paul's going to bring this up to, to, drill, home his, to drill his point home here. And many times we can lose the power and the understanding of baptism, and it just becomes something that we do when we become a Christian. This is what we do. And we sort of understand it, and we sort of know about it and what it's all about. But at the end of the day, we get baptized, we get wet, we come out, and then now what sort of thing? What's the whole point of the baptism? And he's saying, and yeah, it's just a symbol. It can't save you. Baptism will not save you. And as Pastor Eric says, all it is is a symbol of a commitment that you made. It's like your wedding ring. If I take my wedding ring off, I'm still married to Becca. If I put it on, now you know, like you can sit there and see, oh yeah, Kent made a commitment to his wife and he wears something on, out of his finger here. And that's what baptism is, but it means something spiritually. And we were to connect to that meaning and... He says, when we were buried with him, or excuse me, in three, we were baptized into Christ Jesus and then into his death. So the symbol, if you can picture it, and I keep on pointing over here because on the weekends we do the baptismals right here. And we have the water and the horse troughs and all that stuff. And somebody gets in there and somebody who has already professed their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're letting the whole world know. 
that they belong to Christ. And so when they sit in that, that horse trough and they're ready to be baptized, the point is, is I'm dry right now. As a symbol of I am a sinful person and I recognize that I'm a sinful person. The law has pointed that out and I need a savior. And when you go back into the water, it's like being buried with Christ. Going to the tomb with Christ and you come out, you're washed clean, you're like a new creation. And that's how we are to live our lives. It's not this one act that we do because we are Christians. It's a lifestyle that we are to identify with Christ. That he came and he died for me when I was a sinner. And I say, I need to be covered. I need your blood to cover me so I'm righteous before the Father. And so when he hung on that cross, he was crucified. He hung on the cross. He took all of our sins. Nothing shocks God. What you, what you have done in the past does not shock God. What you're going to do in the future won't shock him because he already bore your sins. He knows your sins better than you do because he bore them on the cross. It's kind of a crazy thing to think about, but he knows you. He knows your heart. He knows who you are. He knows everything about you. He knows your sins. So it doesn't shock him. And when we can sit there and say, my sin is now up there, it's off of me. And he took him down, he took my sin, they took him down off that cross, and they put him in the tomb. That's where my sin went, in that tomb. And then three days later, he was raised again in a newness of life. My sin's gone. And I can stand before the Lord. So that's baptism as we see it. So that has a, an enormous amount of implications in how we live, and we're going to touch on that. And so for if we have been united with Christ in verse 5, together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also should be in the likeness of his resurrection. See, we have, you see what I'm saying in verse 5? It says, have been. It's past tense have been united together. We're already united together in the likeness of his death. And then in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was, again, past tense, was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of it. So if if I can identify Christ on that cross, and I can identify with him in the tomb and in the resurrection, then that means it opens up a whole new world to me. Death does not have any power over me anymore. My mortal body will die. Yes, all of us will. But we, as soon as we die, we're present with the Lord. So that right there has a lot of implications. I want you guys to consider what kind of implication that has on your life right now. There are going to be so many times when you are going to be confronted with extreme, extreme like very tough situations. Very tough situations. 
And there's going to be times because you have identified with the crucifixion of Christ and we are to have his mind, as Paul said in Philippians 2, chapter 5, we are to have the mind of Christ. That means that there's going to be times where we take other people's sins and nail them to our cross. I'm not saying that we can forgive them eternally, but if we are to act like Christ to the world, then, that's some, then we can't get out of the crucifixion. There's going to be times when we're totally right. We're totally right. And this person over here is condemning us as totally wrong, but there's going to be a time where I have to hang on that cross and say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Because there's not going to be an argument that you can give them that's going to change their minds. But we have the ministry of reconciliation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Our ministry is reconciliation like Christ was. And when he hung on that cross, he was reconciling us to the Father because his mission was to the Father. And there's going to be times in your life, and maybe you're going through them right now, where you just cannot go to the cross on whatever it is, your family dispute, what your boss, how they're treating you, or how your neighbor's treating you, or your spouse, or your kids, whatever it is, you have to let them know how wrong they are. There's no possible way you're going to stand down, and for the rest of your life, you're always going to be in an argument with those people. There's never going to be peace. And you tell me, is that the gospel or not? Is that supposed to, what we're supposed to do? Like, can't, how do I do it? It's too tough. I've been there. I know. But if we identify with the, ba- the, with the baptism of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, we have to consider how did Christ do it when he hung on that cross and he sat there on that cross, hung there, and he looked down and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And there's going to be times where you're going to have to do that to bring peace so you can have a conversation, so you can start reconciliation. But when somebody sees a demonstration of love that the rest of the world will not give them, that makes them think differently. That will make them stop and say, wait a second here. They didn't argue with me, and they just went to the cross, and they died on this one particular subject for the sake of our relationship. What's different about them? That's the gospel. And that's tough. And you know why you can do it? Because the power of the resurrection. Because this life is not all it is for us. This is our mission. This is what we do. And we know as soon as we die in this life, we're going to be with the Father. And because of his grace, we can do this. The power is in Jesus. And so when we focus on Jesus, we can do this. And sometimes this is what we're called to do crazy implications. There's going to be a day, maybe in my lifetime, but probably definitely in my kid's lifetime, where if they stand up at the pulpit and say that Jesus is the only way, by his blood, you're going to be saved from the wrath to come. 5-9, Romans 5-9. That right there will put them in hot water and it could probably put them in prison. Because it's absolute truth, and a lot of people don't want an absolute truth. We're already seeing it. A, a large part of the world, if you say that right there, you're going to prison. There's going to be a day in our lifetime where we'll probably see it, or we're going to have a little bit more persecution. I pray not, but it's, it's going in that direction. And it's going to be a time where we have to stand up and say, I can't bow to that. I will stand up here and I will proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And that's something that 
I have to do. And I have to go to prison, I go to prison for it. But that's going to be a tough situation. It's going to be a tough time. And we're seeing it with people right now, with Christians right now, they're going through it. And I will be able to do that because I've already died with Christ. And I'm already banking on the resurrection. And that's what I'll have to do. I'll have to just die right there and, and go through the pain in order to hopefully bring peace, but to glorify God. Jesus didn't get out of it. What makes us think that we can always get out of it? I'm telling you guys, the more we can talk about this, I'm, there's a lot of implications to the baptism and in the resurrection. But real fast here, turn to Ephesians, to the right, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church was this. I'm going to start in 18. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, of Jesus' calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and then I watch this, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. What's he want me to see? He wants my eyes to be open to this crazy amount of power that's in the resurrection. And that's his prayer for the church. Why? Because if we can know that we have a resurrection, we can get through anything in this life and stand strong in the Lord. Anything. Because that demonstrated the love of God in an enormous way. And it's powerful. And we are going to be seated at the right hand with the Heavenly Father because of Jesus Christ. An enormous amount of power in the resurrection because it displayed an enormous amount of love on God's part to take out sin. So let's go ahead and continue in chapter 6. Verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So we are free from sin. What he means by that is when we stand before the Father at the judgment seat, he doesn't see sin in us. That doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless or he expects you to be sinless now, but he expects you to have a heart of repentance and not want to sin and consistently work on your sanctification. But right here, if you believe in Jesus and the blood that will cover you, by faith, you're sealed. You're righteous before the Father. You're justified. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. So death has no... So if we're in Christ and we identify with Christ and we're living in him and he was raised from the dead and our sins that were put upon him are washed away, then no longer sin should have no more dominion over us. For the death that he died, in verse 10, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So because of this truth, Paul says, he uses this word reckon, which is an accounting term. It means to compute or to equate. So, and it means to continually, continually equate or compute what all this means in your life and how it changes you. And this is kind of where he's, he kind of takes a break and he's going to continue to now expand upon all these truths. And we're going to get to verse 14. And Eric's going to continue the next time he gets up. He'll continue to, to cover the rest of this. It's going to be a continuation. But what's it mean for us to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin? It means to every day consistently think, wait a second, okay, I've, I struggle with this one particular sin, let's call it ungentleness. And I'm fine with being ungentle. I'm totally fine. I call myself a Christian, but I'm totally fine losing my temper. Because this person causes me to lose my temper. So I'm going to blame me and my anger and my ungentleness on this other person. And if I am reckoning, reckoning this, if I'm dead to this sin, then I should be constantly in a process of going to the Lord and saying, Lord, how in the world can I overcome the fact that I am ungentle? I do not have the power in and of myself to give this person grace when they don't deserve it. How did you do it for me? And it's a constant, continually, a continuing position to be in before the Lord when you're always going to him and you're asking him to help you with this. But if you don't have a habit of doing that, of reckoning yourself before the Lord in this situation, you're always going to struggle with this particular sin, whatever it is. And we can have our pet sins that, or our pocket sins that we put in and, and they're ours and I don't want anybody to mess with them. Right? I'm allowed to have this one or two. I'm not perfect. Nobody can be perfect. It's the excuse we give ourselves, right? And it's just like, no, we, don't, we can't do that. So we go to the Father and ask, how do I conquer this thing? How do I do this? And it's a relationship. It's a continual reckoning before the Father of how I can conquer these things. And this right here... Um, has been uh, just an eye-opener for me for the last eight or nine years. Uh, we have a small group of guys that meet every Friday morning. And our job, our homework, every week is to find those sort of cracks in our armor where we ungentle. Do we continually struggle with this? Or is there our pride? Whatever it is. You name it, whatever it is. And we know it's against the Father and His will. And so we come in and we just put ourselves in the hot seat and say, okay, here's, our situa here's my situation. This is something I continually struggle with. Will you help me with it? And so the guys get in here and they start drilling it down. We're trying to find the root of the problem. And the next thing you know, we're starting to apply verses to it. And I don't know how many times we have seen God pretty much work a miracle in our lives and to help us to overcome this one thing that we had been struggling with for so long. Because we went 
before the Father, and we said, I have to reckon this. I have to put this before the Father because it's not what he wants. Do you have a habit? Do you have people in your life where you can do that with? Do you think it's important? Because I think it's paramount that we have that in our lives. This is a discipline that we should have. We should always be doing some form of self-confrontation. We should be looking at our lives, our spiritual lives, and seeing, okay, if Jesus died for this, and I mean, I could be freed of this sin, but in, the, in and of myself, I don't have the power to be. So how can Jesus do that for me? And you start doing business with the Lord, and you start applying verses to those, whatever those sins are, and next thing you know, he's able to free you because there's power in the Word. There's power in the Word, and the Holy Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, is speaking to us. We can apply those principles to our lives, and next thing you know, we can be freed from those sins. We don't have to struggle with them as much anymore. We can have freedom. What we don't realize is when we have a sin or we struggle with sin and, and we, we just go ahead and just feel like it's okay, you have a worship problem and there's part of your worship. You're not experiencing the Lord in the fullness that you, could, you can be. And it's always going to be there and you're always going to have this issue of worship. You might have some worship, but you, you're, always not, you're never going to be at peace in your relationship with the Lord, you're never going to feel it because the Holy Spirit is going to be constantly working on you. Constantly working on you. And, and so in, in what, it's what he says, and I believe in uh, Galatians chapter 5, it's just you have the Spirit and the flesh and they're going to be constantly warring. Constantly warring. And maybe some of you here tonight is like, I've been constantly warring for a long time. I've been dealing with these things for a long time, Kent. And I get it. I, I believe in Jesus. I believe he washed me of my sins. I'm going to stand before the Father justified. But I got a whole list of things that I've been dealing with that I've never put down since my salvation. And I just don't know how. I don't have any peace. And Paul is saying here, you can be free of that. You can be alive to God. Dead to sin and alive to God. If you just hand them over. If you just hand them over. So likewise... I'm going to read it again. Likewise, you reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not let it reign. Be, control you. That's what it's saying. Do not let it have control over you that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from, from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall have dominion, well, excuse me, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Not under the law, but under grace. Does sin have dominion over you? Does it reign in your life and Why? Why would you allow it to have rain in your life when you don't have to? Because the power of the resurrection, the love of God, is enough to conquer whatever sin that you have. It is. Do you believe it? And are we going to do anything with it? That's the question. And that's what he's saying. What shall we say then in verse 1 of chapter 6? So now what? Based upon this truth, what are we going to do with it? So tonight, I want us to consider 
that we have this life to live before the Lord. We receive the grace that he has given through his son, which is the most precious thing that can be given to anybody. And we believe it. And so how can we take it and not only bank on it for, our, for eternity and getting into heaven and being in relationship with the Father, but how can it affect our daily lives? How can this information right here affect our daily lives to where your members are instruments of righteousness, our faculties, our mind, our mouth, our tongues, our hands, our feet, whatever it is, how can we live a righteous life and not allow my mind, my mouth, my hands lead to sin? And I think the key to all this is the love of God and His grace. If you try to do it in and of yourself, you won't have the power, and you'll be frustrated. You'll never overcome it. It'll be behavior modification. And you can look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're in torment. And that's the scary thing when we come and become Christians. Sometimes we can have the mindset of, I'm coming to these group of people that I really like, and I want to be a part of something that means more than anything ever in my life, and I want to be a part of this group, these nice people, and I want to be accepted, and they believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, they don't cuss, so I'm not going to cuss, and they stop drinking, so I'm going to stop drinking, and next thing you know, you're just doing a bunch of behavior modification, and you look Christian on the outside, but on the inside, you have no relationship with the Heavenly Father. You're battling with the sins of lust and everything else in your mind. And you're using your instruments for unrighteousness and not righteousness. And your key is the grace of God. The reason why you stop drinking and getting drunk is not because you're a Christian. It's because that's a sin that killed a son. The reason why you stop smoking weed I guess that's slang for marijuana, if you didn't know. <laughs> I felt like a teenager when that came out of my mouth. <laughs> it's not because you're a Christian and you're supposed to carry this, this label around with you and look clean. And you're more worried about your image and what people think of you than God. The reason why you stop it is because God has better for you and you appreciate his son. You appreciate the sacrifice on behalf of you, and it's the love of God that's going to turn your heart. And it's a relationship with God. The thing that's going to stop you with pride is the love of God. That's the power. The blood represents the enormous amount of love of God. The crucifixion and the resurrection gives us hope and it displays an enormous amount of love from our Heavenly Father. And that's what we focus on. That's what gets us through this life. And that's what gives us hope. And if you have been struggling trying to figure out how to live a sanctified life and it's just not working for you and this Christian life isn't all you thought it was going to be, that's the problem. That's probably the problem. 
because you have no relationship. You're not focused on your relationship with the Lord. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is you're totally missing the boat. God desires to have a relationship with you. So much so he pursues you with his son. And if you want to know the heart of your heavenly father, it's in Jesus Christ. He's the expressed image of your father, of my father. If I want to see my father in action, all I study is Jesus Christ. And I look at how he treated people, how he went to Matthew, the tax collector. He said, I know what you're doing, but come follow me. Can I hang out with all your tax collectors and sinner friends and hang out with them too? Because they need a hospital or a doctor. They need some people. They have a problem. They're sick. I came to heal them. And those Pharisees are sitting back there just like, and they're talking to the disciples at the same time. And that whole scene, they're like, man, what's he doing talking and eating with these people, these sinners and these tax collectors? And like, they just missed it. That's our heavenly father. Read the good Samaritan, our heavenly father. is just like, if you see this person, this right here, it's hurt. I don't care what who he's from or what he is or his ethnicity or whatever, if he's hurt, I want you to stop your life and help this person because that's more important than anything. That's more important than coming to the temple and worshiping because that's an act of worship when you help this person. That's our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is the one that bounces kids on his knees. Our Heavenly Father is the one that goes across the, the lake and heals the demoniac. That's Jesus. That's our Heavenly Father. That's the actions of our Father. He's doing the will of the Father. He's the one that's going to forgive the adulterous person. And he's the one that had mercy on Peter when Peter denied him three times. He had mercy upon him and used him greatly. God has mercy upon you. You're never going to fully get it right. You're always going to struggle some form or fashion with the temptation of sin and sometimes you might give in. No excuses, but sometimes you will. Your father has mercy. So you go to him and say, Father, help me. I didn't mean to do this. It's a relationship. It's grace. It's good news. And so tonight, as we come and we do communion, his body was broken and his blood was shed. Think about the cross and the crucifixion. What that represents it's all your sins were cast upon him that time. He bore your sins. He knows them. He knows them. But he was resurrected. They're gone. They're completely gone. And based upon that, I'm going to enjoy the communion. It's a relational thing with me and my Father in heaven because of his Son and what he did. And that's what the broken cracker represents as his body. The juice represents his blood. And so tonight, do business with the Lord. Do business with the Lord. And based upon this information, his love for you, how are you going to be impacted by it and what are you going to do? Are you going to hand out that grace to someone? Are you going to hand out that mercy to people? Are you going to realize that what you're dealing with, the sins that you're dealing with maybe, are an offense to the Lord that killed his son? And he's had mercy upon you the whole time and grace, but he wants you to overcome that because it affects the relationship between you and him. Think about it. And so tonight, as we take the communion, 
it's on your own pace. You come up and you grab it as the worship team comes and they'll play some, some songs and it's for you to, ta- to take time and reflect upon his grace. And there's some of you as it's like, okay, I need help. Please come down for prayer. Please come down and say, I just need help. I need prayer. This is something I've been struggling with. And maybe we can help you through it. And some of you are like, I've never even been saved. I didn't know I needed the blood of Christ to cover me, his love to cover me. And you repent of your sins. You just recognize I'm a sinner. And I see that as the one thing that can cover me in his love. And I want that. I want a relationship with him. You come down as well, and I would love to talk to you about it. We're going to have pastors, ministry leaders on both sides of the, um, of the stage here. And if you just need prayer in general, please come down for that. But praise the Lord for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord for his grace. Praise the Lord that he went to the cross for us and our sin. It's gone. It's gone. And we can live in a free life. And we have power to overcome anything. In the name of Jesus, we do. So tonight, let's do business with the Lord. I'll pray us out. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Such a, an amazing passage to consider. The baptism of Jesus. The crucifixion and the resurrection. That gives us hope. And that gives us grace. That we look at and And we're so appreciative of it. Help us to connect with you more because of it to be in relationship with you. Um, That's even better than it ever has been. As we do communion, Father, just meet with us as well. We thank you for your, your son. Thank you for this life we can live unto you and we can put our old life behind us. Just thank you for your mercy. Thank you that we can come next week and celebrate Christmas. In the birth of your son, God, it was a hope. It was a hope. So prepare our hearts and our minds for not only tonight, but as this week comes, that we would be able to worship you in just in a fresh and new way and walk in a newness of life. In Jesus' name, amen.